All right. Well, I'm Patrick Pittman, and we're here having a conversation around easier business and what it means to find that in your work and in the companies that you lead. And I had the pleasure of meeting Dr. Andrea Hollingsworth earlier this year as I was exploring resources for the easier business community and understanding more about compassion and how that can play a role in leadership and what it means to bring that into the workplace in, in meaningful ways. So I wanted to come back and talk with Dr. Hollingsworth today about the ways in which she's bringing her insight around compassion into the workplace and finding ways for leaders to understand that it's not something that just some people have. It's something that you can learn and you can bring it into your organization. And so I was curious to talk with you about that today. So welcome, Dr. Andrea Hollingsworth. Thank you, Patrick. It's wonderful to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, and I, I think that one of the things that has been noticeable in my work as a consultant over the years, sometimes the work that we do is a, in the hiring and how people are looking to grow their team. A lot of our work in the commerce background is building out the, the front office of a, a business where they have need help in marketing and customer service, and that can include helping them hire and define roles and so forth. And so often, the reason for them needing to hire is because they've experienced some attrition in their organization. People have left. Sometimes it's also the case that people are in a situation where the engagement is so low that it feels like they've left, but they're still sitting in their chair. Yeah. And, and I think... <laughs> I think you've called that quiet quitting, and that also caught my eye. And so I think for, for someone who has a company that knows that retention is a challenge, there are all kinds of remedies that might be available to them. And you know, I think what was interesting to me about some of the things I was reading about what you wrote is that we can we can kind of get distracted with what seems like a lot of remedies or policy changes that isn't addressing the underlying problem of why people either are leaving the company or why they're just not engaged at work. And I think you've essentially honed in on how compassion expressed in the workplace can be transformative. And I wonder if you could tell me more about how you noticed that and where that came um, to become important in your, sure. in your work. Yeah. Thank you. There's a there's so much um, to say around this because, I mean, I, I like to start by naming the obvious. We're, we're in tough times. I think we can all agree. I mean, we're coming out of one of the most um, stressful moments in, in modern history, this pandemic, or trying to come out of it. I mean, things keep coming at us and, and people are people are hurting. They're hurting everywhere. They're hurting at work. There's the economy, there's politics, there's, you know, climate stuff. Um, it, it's just, it's sort of never ending the things that, that we're asked um, to deal with right now, just, just as people. Um, and so in the workplace, as we, um, you know, as we're struggling with how to deal with all of this stress and, and all of this emotional pain, that's going to come up um, when it comes to, you know, people's engagement, people's levels of burnout, whether or not management knows how to support people who are in pain, because many people are. Um, and so when there isn't that support, when people aren't feeling like their leaders are empathetic, um, like their leaders are, you know, respectful enough, like their leaders really get it. 
um, they tend to look elsewhere for work or just kind of sit back in their chair and, and do the bare minimum. And that's, you know, I'm sure you've heard a lot of people have heard of this hashtag quiet quitting where people just, they're there, but they're kind of not there. Um, and so, you know, I started doing um, the background for me is I, I used to be an academic and I'm currently a therapist. Um, I see people here in my, in my off my home office um, and I used to teach as well um, in, at a university level. And I've always been interested in this notion of compassion, the difference that it can make in people's lives when they embrace more self-compassion um, and also when they learn the skills that it takes to express compassion and support for other people. And it can make a huge difference. It makes a huge difference in organizations. Um, there's a huge business case for, for more compassion in organization. Is that business case fundamentally around the cost of replacing people who just yeah. leave? I mean, there's a kind of a truism about you don't quit your job, you really quit your manager. Yes. The audience listening to this is people who are leading organizations. They're either the owner or they have some management responsibility. Yeah. Do you find then that it really comes down to one thing to say, a culture of compassion, but is that really represented by the leaders in a company? And is that who you really are helping? Yeah. To answer your first question about attrition, attrition is the big thing, the big bottom dollar thing that a lack of compassion is, that's how it's going to show up. People quit. The average cost of an employee leaving and, and needing to be replaced these days is over $9,000 per employee. And so, you know, we've, we've all experienced this great resignation, you know, during COVID where people are just quitting right and left. And perhaps that's lessened a little bit, but now with, with people so burned, burned out and still just in a lot, a lot of emotional pain, um, employers are still losing, per, you know, in terms of productivity and performance because people are doing less at work. They just feel less able to do much at work. Um, and so research has shown that a compassionate, a more compassionate leader base makes a qualitative and quantitative difference in terms of employee satisfaction, employee loyalty to the company, um, in terms of um, just overall performance. Um, when people feel more supported by their managers and more connected to their managers, they tend to show up and do better work. The level of trust and accountability tends to rise in the company um, just just because of those more more healthy um, emotional environments that get created with compassion. Yeah, I think about then the direct relationship with the manager that can have the quality you're speaking to. Is there something else to be said for how employees relate to each other? And is that one of the signs that for people who are running organizations, if they're seeing a certain fractiousness or difficulty within employees to employee kind of communication, is that a sign that there's something that can be brought to what you're teaching? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, just to zoom out a little bit, it seems like there's there's so much um, stress out there that people are kind of forgetting how to talk to each other in connected and respectful ways. This is happening in a lot of different spheres, not just the workplace. And so, but in workplaces, you sometimes have talk of something like a toxic workplace, you know, 
where um, employees are just experiencing a lot of disconnection and a lot of disrespect and lack of support at work. And so um, what I come in and do is, is give leaders, especially those frontline managers who are really wanting a more connected and effective and empathetic way of, of dealing with people who are in some emotional stress. I give them tools. I give them very specific you know, things that they can start doing to take better care of, of themselves so that they have the resources to notice and empathize and act on behalf of, of those they lead. I talk about things you can actually say and do in meetings, whether it's an online meeting or an in-person meeting that will express um, really that empathetic connection that will make people feel supported. Uh, supported. Um, I talk about, you know, what if what if you have team members who are underperforming, who are not living up to their potential, and you want compassionate ways to say hard things, because leaders have to say hard things. They they have to have corrective conversations with employees who, who aren't living into the potential for which they were hired, and so we talk about that. Um, there are just all kinds of, of actual tools that, that people walk away from my program with, with, you know, you can start using these things today in ways that are going to help. Um, really just instill a different kind of feel in teams and also just in yourself as a leader. Yeah. So you, you mentioned the program and I want in a minute to have you tell us more about this compassionate leadership program, because that's essentially the remedy that you can bring to organizations who are struggling in this way. Mm-hmm. Before you do, you know, one of the topics that we've talked about in our easier business podcast is sarcasm and <laughs> yeah. in the, in the form of humor, you know, because it, it often can take the first you know, at a glance and say, oh, he's just trying to be funny yeah. or just trying to bring some humor situation. Mm-hmm. But when sarcasm shows up, there's also this underlying mocking kind of quality to it. Yeah. And mm-hmm. we see it especially in meetings. Yeah. And so, you know, in the work that we're doing, that's just, that's one of those areas that sometimes particularly leaders can try and shrug off some of the stress or the tension of a moment with mm-hmm. humor it ends up being uh, mocking and mm-hmm. we can call it broadly, more broadly sarcasm. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious if, if there are, are aspects of, of what it looks like in an organization, you mentioned the word toxicity earlier, you mentioned disengagement and, and difficulty relating to managers. Are there, before you describe the compassionate leadership program, could you tell us a little bit more about what are the kinds of signs that you would see if you're a leader of an organization Mm-hmm. that you would notice as far as what people are saying or doing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean to say this in contrast to just sort of the passive quiet quitting where they're just not doing much. Right? Yeah. It's one thing to kind of witness disengagement in an apathy or path, passive sort of state. But if there's other things that seem more visible or are active, mm-hmm. do you, can you have any examples of what that might mm-hmm. look like in organization for someone who's trying to decide what, how much help they might need from you? Sure. Um, you know, it shows up in things like, like people, um, not showing up at work, uh, or just taking more sick leave than, than you might hope for or expect. Um, it shows up in people coming to meetings, but really not, um, saying much, or when they say things like you mentioned the, the sarcasm, um, where it's, it's humor, but it's also just an expression of angst, of, of anger, right? 
Um, and on that anger, you, you might see some, some conflict, some irritability, um, because when people feel stressed out and unsupported, um, irritability is, is, is one of the first signs and symptoms of that. Um, burnout also just shows up in um, a lot of general apathy, where people forget about tasks or they lack the focus to really prioritize and multitask. So maybe they're getting some stuff done, but it's not the right stuff because they just don't have the, the cognitive capacity to show up in, in the way, in those high performing ways, because they're so emotionally burned out. Um, and so maybe they're not getting all of their tasks done, or maybe they're not getting the important tasks done. Um, you might have complaints or about workplace toxicity. You might have complaints about management who just is super disconnected and, and isn't making time for one-on-ones, time for weekly or by you know bi-monthly team huddles. Um, these are some of the things that that I hear from my clients where they're like, oh, okay, we need something different here. This culture isn't working for people. So then take us through what it means to, to go through your program and how that starts to impact a business. What's the first part of the program that would get someone ready for this? And then how does it look as they go through? Sure. Um, well, let me talk about the program itself and what I offer. And then I'll talk about the process of, you know, how would you express interest in this or, or get going with it? So um Kind of the bread and butter of the program is a two-hour training that I offer. Um, I can do it online or I can do it in person. And I work with your leaders, um, all levels of leadership. I've worked with C-suite folks. I've worked with um, mid to lower management folks and everyone in between. But I really love working with, with the managers. Um, but it's a two-hour training where we talk about the four fundamentals of a compassionate um, culture in an organization, which are self-compassion. So really learning how to take care of your own emotional stress. Um, also awareness, becoming better at noticing other people and, and what they're going through. Um, empathy, so expressing the fact that, you know, you're connecting with these people, you understand, you get it, and you've got their back. And then action, doing things, actual things um, that will make a difference and help people feel much more seen and supported at work and and also held account accountable to high high standards of, of performance in their job. So that's the two hour training. Um, it's very interactive, lots of stories. People have fun, they enjoy it. Um, it's a wonderful morale boost and, and team builder for people because they walk away going, oh yeah, I like, we can do this. We have some skills, <laughs> we have some tools for helping helping folks feel better here at work. Is compassion a skill? Isn't just some people just seem like they're better at it than others? And maybe it's like, someone's like, that's not my style. It totally is a skill. I know we, we're all thinking of like, oh, you know, oh, my mother-in-law is the most compassionate person. I could never be that way or whoever it is in your life. Not um, my mother-in-law. Okay, not your mother-in-law. <laughs> I don't know why I thought of that. Pick another example, but yeah. <laughs> I pick like the worst example ever. <laughs> don't we all wish? Okay. Um, yes. So, uh, compassion is a skill it's, at a neurobiological level. We can, um, there's this thing called neuroplasticity and, and studies in cognitive and behavioral science have proven 
that there are specific things you can do to actually change some of the social and emotional processing centers in your brain to become more empathetic. It's really fascinating. Um, and there is also evidence to corroborate that behaviors follow as well. So yeah, it is a skill. It, it, needs, it needs practice though. It's like a muscle. Mm -hmm. Is it something then that the managers you said you like working with, that they effectively become the model for others in the organization in terms yes. of people who go through your program, you send them out then into an, into a company as modeling what yeah. that kind of compassionate leadership looks like. Yeah. One of my mantras is that leaders set emotion norms, leaders set emotion norms. And so if you are relating to yourself and others in a consistently empathetic and respectful and compassionate way, it sets the tone in, in the company, in your team, for more respectful, compassionate, empathetic relations with other people. And that makes for a workplace where everybody feels a little bit more supportive and supported, and they're going to do better work. Carry on. Okay. So that training is the bread and butter, but I also have developed two assessments that I can offer clients before the training. So come in, we do a consult, and then I send out these assessments um, to your leaders and we figure out what are the current strengths and challenges when it comes to self-compassion, which is huge in terms of resilience and effective leadership, and also compassionate expression toward others that you lead or manage. With the assessments, I can come into the training with a much more tailored version of, of what is specifically going to benefit your leaders because it isn't the same for everybody. Your organizations um, have different kind of styles or cultures that start to develop in their own unique way or in their own unique dysfunction. <laughs> yes, they do. Um, I, I just worked with an organization that it was so interesting because there, the, they did the assessments and it showed that they were relatively good at taking care of each other. Um, their scores in, you know, awareness of stress and empathetic support and inclusion um, were very like moderate to high. Um, what they were struggling with though, the most was self-compassion. So this is a group of people that was extremely hard on themselves. There was a culture inbuilt of perfectionism and managers were feeling absolutely overwhelmed with their workload and with this perceived need to do it all and do it perfectly. And so we worked a lot on self-care. We worked a lot on boundaries and in the areas where they did need help taking better care of, of each other and of those that they manage, um, I am absolutely positive that the work we did around self-compassion is going to enable them to do that. They're going to be more resilient and more effective because when you feel better taking care of yourself, you can show up for people in a much different way. And so, yeah, that's just one example of, of what these assessments can kind of bring to the surface before I would work with an organization. It, it makes me think about some companies that we've worked with in our consulting at eBusiness Pros. And there was a company that the leader would often start Zoom conversations with the camera off. Mm -hmm. And the the way that uh, they began it was they'd say, hey, slacker. Uh, with five seconds, seconds of silence after that. Okay. 
Is that an example of kind of the the mocking that you were referencing earlier? It could, yeah. I think you know you also spoke to perfectionism or the idea of trying to do it perfectly. Yeah. And if you're a slacker, you're not doing it well enough. Yeah. But yeah. there's also a sense of, oh, I'm just joking. Oh, I'm just joking, right? Yeah. And so you know, I described how some organizations that develop a certain culture or quality, when that is coming from the top, it makes it normalized. You said, I think you said earlier that leaders set the emotional norms. Mm-hmm. So how do you... How do you start to address, you come through your assessment, you help, you find an organization and you find that the common way to start meetings is, hey, slacker. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. That's a wonderful case study. And and I've never come across anything quite that. Uh, that's interesting. So I, um, I think I would want to talk about <laughs> the therapist is coming out of me now. I probably want to have a one-on-one with this person <laughs> apart from their team and just say, so what's it about? You know, like, is it levity in meetings is a good thing. Love, you know, where you're helping people to feel a little bit lighter, you're helping them to laugh. But when there's a passive aggressive dig involved in it, you know, um, it communicates a very mixed message to people. Um, as you kind of pointed out, like, oh, oh, we're supposed to laugh, but actually you're making us feel bad about ourselves. And so um, I would want to have a conversation with this leader about, and with the leaders in general, like, what is your vision for the the kind of, um, for the kind of leadership support that you want to communicate to your people? Do you want to be a goad or do you want to be someone that inspires people to to do their best you know do you want to be someone who brings levity maybe but do you want to do it in a clear way not a passive aggressive way and what are some of the communication strategies that you can use that will better communicate some levity some inspiration and this message that we're here to do our best because i i'm guessing that that leader wants everybody to do their best you know um, but maybe just needs a more supportive and direct way to say that, you know? Yeah. Does that make some sense? Yeah, it does. I think that that does sound constructive. You know, it's in my experience, there's sometimes um, a desire to sort of keep people a little bit off balance hmm. and maybe just a little bit of anxiety mm-hmm. as to uh, a drive to keep them moving. And not mm. feel too not feel too comfortable in whatever it is that yeah. their work is, and so that that showing up in that way of giving you just a little bit off balance mm-hmm. is it is it a joke? Is it an, is it a dig? Yeah. And I think there's that um, a lot to be sort of unpacked, I suppose, around that. But as you work with companies, there's the, the program. It doesn't just the pre-assessments. There's not just the the training itself, there's also follow-ups too that you can provide. Tell us about that. Yeah. So if leaders uh, are wanting to really, after the training, invest in an action plan for, okay, you know, we've got some skills, we've got some tools, we feel inspired, we feel better connected. And we also know that that stuff can fade pretty quickly after a two-hour training. 
how can you help us? Um, I can offer a series of coaching sessions where I sit down and I say, okay, here's what I really saw happening in the assessments. Here's what I experienced in the training. Here's the feedback I got from your participants. And here are some, some of my ideas for things you can do, actually start doing today that can begin to change the culture uh, in your organization. And so, you know, we come up with a plan of like, what are you going to start doing today? And then, you know, we maybe have a, a, a six-week follow-up where, you know, we reassess, we, we do some evaluation, and we say, what are we going to continue doing? What are we going to take away? What are we going to add? And then maybe another six to eight, eight weeks after that, we, we meet again. Um, with one company that I worked with, we decided together that one of the next action points, you know, they're seeing some progress in terms of engagement and morale, but um, they needed much more specific help with um, employee mental health in their organization. And so I'm actually um, going to be developing a new training for them on supporting mental health in the workplace. Um, they also were interested in, in this whole notion of mindfulness and, and resilience in leaders. And so um, another action point is they're going to be, um, I'm going to be developing one, one of those for them too. And so it really, um, it's just the level of support and follow-up that you're wanting. Um, and there's lots of things I can do. Yeah. The program we're talking about today is the Compassionate Leadership Program. You speak to mindfulness or resilience and those are other things that you mentioned mental health. I mean, does it, in the end, does it all sort of fall into the broader category of what is the emotional tenor of your organization and mm -hmm. whether it's um, a healthy norm or a unhealthy norm, isn't it really getting to this question of how we connect as individuals, how we relate to each other at both level, you know, in terms of the hierarchy, you're looking at those who are in charge and those who are more at our level and are collaborating with. How do you build this sense of emotional health in an organization so people feel able and, and motivated to do their best work? Yeah. Is, is that the bigger question that you're interested in? Yeah. Emotional wellness is the broader category. Compassion holds a lot of it, but emotional well-being, because um Companies that that have a really healthy um, emotional tenor um, or emotional culture um, create an environment where people feel inspired and they also feel safe. And so now I have to geek out and talk about the nervous system for just a second. But um, when people don't feel emotionally safe at work, when they don't feel supported, when they don't feel respected, when they feel like it's toxic, when they feel like this is a place where I consistently get get just completely overwhelmed, um, they literally are not going to have the executive function, the cognitive capacity to show up in ways that are going to express their potential as employees. Because when the nervous system is in uh, its, its defense mode, its threat mode, um, it, it takes cognitive resources and, and puts them toward you know, staying in survival mode versus that more safe, relaxed place where now you can be creative. And now you, you can prioritize much better. And now you just feel like you're, you're banging on all cylinders and you can do your work in some really joyful and, and connected and productive and wonderful ways. You have, to have a, you have to have a safe environment for that to happen. If people are not feeling emotionally supported and safe, 
and resilient, um, it's just going to be a lot harder. And I think that that, I mean, that's what burnout and quiet quitting really kind of means is when people aren't feeling that stuff at work. Yeah, I think that's why I brought the example of the, hey, slacker. Yeah. Because there's a an off-balanceness. And what you just spoke to is people feeling a little bit defensive or uncomfortable. And that sense of then their executive functioning, you know, the, the left brain, right brain, they're not as able to imagine the tasks ahead. And I think most importantly, to prioritize them. One of the things yeah. that I find in, in a lot of our work is, and even just people among my own team, that I'm really always curious about what they see as the priority. Mm-hmm. And it can be fascinating to to observe. We have, you know, kind of weekly check-ins on terms of like, what's what's ahead for the week ahead? And yeah. what's the most important thing that that you see ahead? And then mm-hmm. also, as you look back on the week prior, what do you see as what ended up being the most important? Mm-hmm. Because I'm really interested in understanding their ability to evaluate all the things that are happening mm-hmm. and and distill out where the most value is, right? Because any company, a company wants to be basically a platform to create value. And so the perception of where is that value and having individuals be able to ferret that out to sort of follow the scent of it because they have enough emotional safety, emotional regulation to be able to make those prioritizations seems like the biggest benefit if we're going to be sort of looking at takeaways of what emotional or a healthy emotional tenor looks like in an organization it's it starts to look like that and then Mm -hmm. i think then you have in an organization so much change i mean you spoke to emotional pain and stress earlier Mm -hmm. but that's i think a function of a great deal of change which can look Mm -hmm. like turmoil and Mm -hmm. so in the external environment of the world all these things are changing how does within a company how do they have enough trust and capacity to collaborate with each other yeah. that they can adapt the business more yeah. rapidly than yeah. the external environment is changing? Well said, really well said. And, and so that, that's what you can bring is help them develop yeah. that capacity. The, the collaborative capacity that is latent there yeah. is only able to manifest when they're able to share in the kinds of experience and outcomes that you're helping companies develop. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so if that's why I thought have... it was important. Yeah. That's why it's important. I wanted to talk with you because I think that's one of those elements, whether you put, you know, the word compassion on the very top of the page, or it's, it's underlying that emotional sense of safety for us to collaborate yeah. and distill where the value is and keep developing it as, as the world changes and as our business have to change. Exactly. I couldn't agree with you more. Um, it, and it is those those connections, those healthy connections and that healthy, you know, an environment of emotional wellness in your organization that's going to create exactly the, you know, the conditions in which that flexibility and that adaptability and that creativity that you just talked about can happen. And without it, it is really hard. I mean, you you can move but you're going to be moving slower and the gears are going to be grinding pretty hard. Yeah. Well, one of the easier business ideas I talk about is, is uh, less grind and more flow. So <laughs> I don't know. Uh, that sounds really good to me. And that's just my experience. I want, you know, my last 20 years as being an entrepreneur, I, I felt like a lot of grind. Yeah. And 
And the more I was able to better understand the emotional tenor of the organization Mm -hmm. that I was creating, Mm -hmm. more I was able to see where I was making it harder as, Mm -hmm. as the owner, as -hmm. the leader of a team. So Mm -hmm. I really, I really hope for that, you know, in the organizations that I create in the future are those I work in, in a consulting capacity. Mm -hmm. That's why Mm -hmm. it's important to me. Why is this work important for you? How did you find yourself drawn to give so much thought and attention to this? Well, I, you know, I have this background as a, um, a healer, as a therapist and as an educator, and this is kind of the perfect blend, but I can come in and I can be a healer and a mentor to leader teams, leader groups, but I can also be an educator and I can talk about, you know, um, how, how to do these things, how to build these skills. What are the tools you need? Uh, what is the research behind this? Um, and so I really feel like it, it builds on who I am as a person. I'm a healer and I'm a teacher. But just in the, just to go back to where we're at as a society, like it is tough out there. People, <laughs> is, people are in pain. Um, recent survey showed that 90% of American adults would agree with the statement that we are in a mental health crisis in this country right now. A mental health crisis um and it's just showing up everywhere and so now is really the time um to start caring better for each other um so that we can perform at our best and that includes um in the workplace so for someone who thinks this sounds good where do they begin and learn how to work with you right so my website, andreahollingsworth.com, explains a lot of this. And, you know, if you if you read the, the page, Compassionate Leadership, you're going to be able to ask yourself and get answers to questions like, you know, is this really for me? Um, who who does this help? And, and is this likely to help us? Uh, what are the elements involved? What are some of the reviews? You know, what are people saying about this program? And if you're interested enough to, to think, hey, you know, maybe this would benefit us. Um, just get in touch with me, email me info at andreahollingsworth.com. And then we would set up a one-on-one where I would really get a sense of, you know, what are the challenges that you're facing in your organization right now with your leaders, with your employees, um, with attrition, with engagement, those kinds of things. What have you tried? What's worked? What's not worked? And then we would have a conversation. Well, here's what I could offer. And could that help you? And if it sounds like something you'd, you'd like to try, then we would um, talk about, you know, the level of, of investment that you'd like. So everything from, you know, I'd like you to just come in and do the two-hour training, and then we'll go from there. Fine. I can do sort of the, just the training. If you'd like to add in the assessments to customize it, awesome. If you would like to add in, you know, some additional materials where I've got customized, um, you know, post-workshop questions and training exercises and articles can add that. And if you're looking to add some coaching, you know, afterwards, some post-training action planning with, with me to help guide you, we can add that in as well. And the other thing I I can offer is a keynote address to the entire organization that I would come in and do beforehand um, before the training, just to get everybody on the same page just to communicate from the top that that compassion, a more empathetic leader base is something that matters here. And let's get everybody supercharged around this. Um, 
it really sends a message to the entire organization about like, wow, you know, we're talking about compassion here and talk about compassionate work. Like, like leaders are investing in this. Okay. Um, and then it goes from there and it can really have a cool ripple down effect. I can see the significance of that kind of a public presentation to the whole organization for someone who is curious about that and, and maybe they're driving around in their car listening to this, or they're thinking about where they could start. Is there something that, that an individual can do in sort of a, just as a little experiment for themselves to see what the difference, a touch of compassion can bring to their workplace. Are there, are there any things you might suggest someone just try the next meeting that they have or the next time they encounter some difficulty or they're, do you have mm-hmm. any uh, thoughts that they could just take away as a thing mm-hmm. they could start to apply today and mm-hmm. help them better than from that example? Yeah. Imagine all the other ways that, that your program could help them. Yeah. Here's what I would say. So we're all used to saying, how are you? Right. Well, I'm, I'm going to check in with, you know, with someone I, I lead, check in with a team member. I'm just going to say, how are you? How are you today? Well, I think you and I both know that that question is often just, it means absolutely nothing. It's basically like saying hi, right? So what about finding a different way to ask and ask yourself before you check in with this person on your team, think about something that they have recently um, struggled with. Maybe it was a project. Maybe they had a, a really difficult interaction with a client last week or a patient. And ask yourself, how, how can you check in on that particular pain point for them? So instead of saying, how are you, start out the call with, hey, I was thinking about that really tough interaction you had with that patient. Like, man, that was like, that really sucked for you. How are you, how are you holding up after that? And see what they say. And what that communicates to them is a couple of things. A, you are holding them in your mind. And that means a lot. You noticed that they went through something hard. You were holding them in your in your mind and you cared enough about them to follow up with it. That's a lot. Just a simple change in the question of like, how are you to something much more specific about something that they recently endured. Those kinds of things can make a massive difference when they're done by every leader in the company on a more consistent basis. Massive difference. Dr. Andrea Hollingsworth. Well, that's a great example. I think that uh, brings it to a real practical sense that I can imagine for myself. And I, I can imagine trying that because I I had a check-in earlier today and hi, how are you was my first words. So I'm going to try a different different approach the next time. Sounds good. I love it. All right. Thank well, you think... so much for this opportunity to talk. I love, I love the work that you're doing um, as well. And uh, it's just been such a fun conversation. All right. Well, Andrea, thanks for talking with me. You're welcome. Have a great one.